This is the Kaizen Way, the show dedicated entirely to continuous improvement. Join us every Thursday for new episodes on popular platforms like Spotify, YouTube, Apple, and Google Podcasts. This show is proudly sponsored by Monarch Kaizen LLC, your one-stop shop for robust training solutions for soft and even most specialized of skills. Find them on the web at modernkaizen.com and all major social media platforms. We thank you for joining us. Now, without further ado, here's your host, Mike Monroe. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm super excited to be here. This is Mike Monroe, your host for The Kaizen Way. We've got a great show in store for you today. So I'm extremely honored to be here. Uh, I'm extremely grateful for his time. If everybody could help me welcome Robert Moriarty from Gerald Daniels. Robert, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to uh, having this discussion with you. Robert, tell me a little bit about your role there um, and then some of the experience that you have in continuous improvement. But let's really kind of drill down into your journey in how you ended up in the continuous improvement world and ultimately how that led to your position now. At uh, well, currently I am the uh, Western U.S. Division uh, Operations Manager for Gerard Daniel. We're a global company. We have a presence in the United States, Canada, and Europe. Uh, I manage the facilities out here in the West Coast, uh, in Fontana and Mira Loma. Uh, some of the areas that I, I manage is, is the uh, manufacturing, uh, quality, safety, obviously, first and foremost, uh, manufacturing engineering. And uh, basically, I'm the executive sponsor for lean manufacturing as well. Uh, as we start to uh, take Gerard Daniel on a lean journey here in the West uh, with some upcoming uh, lean certifications uh, starting next week. Um, but for my role, I've been here about seven months. I was previously uh, general manager of a company in Ontario named Myers Power Products. Uh, they were in power distribution, building uh, switchboards, panel boards, power distribution centers. Um, basically where it all started for me, I, I came out of the Marine Corps. I'm a combat veteran. And uh, the thing with that is the only thing I knew how to do was to blow things up and break things. And so not real skills, not a lot of skill sets out in the real world for that. So obviously I had to go get some education. And uh, my first job out of the Marine Corps, I was a, a helper installing garage doors. And my sister got me the job. And then she got me my second job. I was working at a, a garage door manufacturing company. And uh, over the course of that, you know, I was jumping around minimum wage, minimum wage. And really, you know, the way I've been told is I was burdened with an overwhelming amount of potential. And what that means is successful people are never told they have potential. They're already successful. They're already doing things. And so I thought it was a compliment, but what it was was a wake-up call. Mm. Uh, kind of to make a long story short, I ended up meeting my wife. And I was living uh, couch to couch with friends, being helpful, letting me sleep on a couch. It's, ha- it's hard in California to live on minimum wage, mm. and especially back in the 90s. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to uh, live with somebody who had uh, AOL, you know, the the chat rooms, and I got into a chat room one time and met my wife. And obviously, I I really had it going on, so I gave her a lot of stories of how well I was doing in life and 
And uh, sooner or later, she wanted to meet me. And so just like uh, most people that have put up a facade, you know, I had to come clean and tell her, you know, this is where I'm at in my life. I, I really haven't accomplished much. And uh, I ended up moving up there and her family took me in. I, I packed up everything and drove 300 miles to Delano, California, moved in with her family. And she told me that I was a blank canvas. Hmm. You know, I had them tell me I had potential. She told me I was a blank canvas. I had everything I needed to be successful. I just didn't know uh, how to do it. And so she kind of pushed me into my first uh, manufacturing role. And I was at Frito Lake. Hmm. And I got a part time job there as a crewing coordinator and uh, on second shift. And then they had an opening on third shift for a packer to pack potato chips. And I started packing potato chips and some, some other people started recognizing my potential and my leadership experience. And so I was asked to start to work on a, what they have in PepsiCo and Frito-Lay is their managers or supervisors are called resources. Hmm. And so I uh, started going into their resource development program and it was to train you to become a leader, to become a supervisor, to be a line supervisor. And I was getting real knee deep into it, doing all my assignments and turning in my reports. And then we all got call, called into the break room and we were given a 60 day warrant notice that they were closing the plant. Hmm. Fortunately, they had a job fair and I got picked up uh, by uh, Hershey uh, Chocolate Company. And uh, they weren't even looking for supervisors. They were looking for mechanics. And I just happened to be in front of the... Uh, booth where their representative was and he says you know do you know any supervisors and i told him well i was training to be a supervisor he goes well here let me get an application from you and i ended up uh, going up there several times for an interview and this was uh up in um, almost the bay area the sacramento mm -hmm. modesto area and i was in delano so i i had to uh leave my we weren't married yet but i had to leave my fiance and I made that decision for my career to take that position up there. And I would drive home on the weekends. And so I had an apartment up there and I was working at Hershey. I got a position as a cross training supervisor on second shift. And uh, they ended up uh, transferring me to third shift. And I was coming home on the weekends to see uh, my future wife. And during the course of that time, I first really got initiated into lean. Uh, there's a facility that used to be up there called NUMI up in uh, Fremont. And it's a joint venture with Toyota and General Motors. And so they sent a bunch of us from uh, Hershey out there to go through TPS training, where we had to be exposed to the Toyota production system. To backtrack a little bit, my other exposure was to Six Sigma. I was taking a course at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and I got uh, exposed to Six Sigma statistical process control, total quality management. And I never knew that those things would marry together later in my life and become Lean Six Sigma. So I, I was in the NUMI plant, and I was learning the Toyota production system. I guess they would call that a white belt certification, yellow belt certification. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to go back to... Uh, Hershey and, and create projects that were real world. And uh, we're, I know we're going to talk a little bit about it later as the most outrageous project, but I, I did a project there 
and I know we'll discuss a little bit later as I'll, I'll reveal what that project was. But it was my first participation in a continuous improvement process. They ended up having another meeting in the break room on, on, uh, on Valentine's Day, good, good date for a chocolate company, to let us know that they were going to move operations to Monterey, Mexico. Hmm. And so once, once more, I had to uh, figure out what I was going to do. And fortunately, fortunately, I was able to get a, a job back down in Southern California. Still wasn't moving back to where my fiance was, but I moved down to Southern California uh, with Ingersoll Rand. And so I got a job for one of their, their uh, companies called Steelcraft that made hollow metal uh, security doors and frames. And uh, eventually, you know, I was able to convince my fiance to move down to Southern California. And we got a house uh, down in uh, Hesperia out in the desert. And nice. we eventually got married in that backyard of that house. Um, so I, I'm in Ingersoll Rand, and they're big on lean deployment. I mean, they have an entire department of master black belts, black belts, and you could not stay in your role unless you got certified. And so I was uh, put through green belt training. I had to go out to Indianapolis, and uh, which was the headquarters of our sector, and I went through two weeks of in-person uh, green belt training, and then I had to go back to my plant put a 65,000 productivity savings project together and then go back to Indianapolis and report out for another two weeks. And I uh, did my certification as a green belt and I was su successful in that. My project was a productivity savings uh, uh, for, our, for our product line. And uh, I had, I, I met the threshold for the 65,000. I think it was more like 120 in, in cost savings. And, uh, Around that time, you know, the economy downturn, we're talking 2008, where everything was going south. And uh, I was the second and third shift superintendent, basically running two shifts. Well, they eliminated my shifts mm. and we downsized. And I didn't, I no longer had a home there. You know, I, I was trying to, you know, look busy on first shift, but I had nobody to lead. So I did a lot of lean activity and I was also the uh, EHS uh site lead for environmental health and safety. So I kind of took on that role. Uh, so eventually uh, what happened is my plant manager was let go and he uh, interviewed for another company. And this company was called McNichols. Hmm. And uh, he found out that uh, I, I was looking for work. He had turned down a job there at McNichols to take a, a position with U.S. Steel. And, but he told the HR there, you may want to talk to Robert. And so I got a phone call out of the blue, and uh, I, I was interviewing with a lot of places. I was actually offered a position with Kroger at the uh, creamery out there in uh, Riverside, and I was offered another position. So I had a bunch of uh, positions on the table. Mind you, uh, I was finally let go the Monday after my wedding. So I had a, a very upset bride that uh, we figured we were going to have to live off our money collection that we got during the dancing. And um, so luckily she had a job at the time that got us through for the next few weeks while I was interviewing. And I interviewed, uh, flew out to Tampa, got the position, and I became the operations manager in Cerritos. Uh, keep in mind, that's about a two-hour commute. And so I was uh, 
you know, it was a good offer, so I was going to take it. And I'd figure out how to deal with the commute later. So I was driving from Hesperia down to Cerritos, California wow. uh, for the next six years. Uh, the good thing about that is I traveled a lot because within six months at Nichols, I was promoted to the Western U.S. manager. And I ran uh, five of the Western plants, uh, Cerritos, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Phoenix, and I opened up a facility in Denver. And so I had a startup. I had a couple of movements. I've moved a couple of plants. So I was always involved in projects. Uh, the one other thing they liked uh, that I was a green belt. And they wanted to start to uh, move forward in lean deployment. And so they sponsored me and paid my, my tuition for my black belt certification. Uh, the first thing I did is I wanted a refresher and I did a green belt again through this certifying body just to refresh it because I hadn't touched it in a while. And then I got certified right after green belt again for design for Six Sigma. And during the course of that, I'm going through the, the uh, uh, training for my black belt. And my black belt project was actually my lean deployment of McNichols. And so it, uh, it involved training lean champions, training yellow belts, uh, training um, executive sponsors on how to uh, uh, sponsor uh, projects, uh, the financial aspects of uh, financial realization for both uh, hard and soft uh, savings. Uh, we did do a, a very large logistics uh, Kaizen event. And uh, after about nine months, uh, I received my certification as a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. Nice. Uh, and that all started with just going to NUMI and uh, uh, getting exposed to the Toyota production system. And I just had a drive for it. I loved it. I loved uh, uh, the empowerment that it drives down to the shop floor, uh, mm -hmm. that you have your, you have your team members uh, participating in activities that change the direction of a company. It's not just your C-suite, your CEO and your CFO that make those decisions that impact everybody. It's, it's shop floor employees that are the ones that are going to receive that impact, that drive it. And I always tell my employees and my, my team members, uh, if you succeed, I'm going to blame it all on you. If you fail, <laughs> I'm going to take responsibility for it. And that's been my, my leadership mantra, not just with Lean Six Sigma, but as an operations manager, as a general manager. Because the, the, the most important role I have is the people. Uh, I mean, I have equipment out there worth millions, you know, but I have family members that are counting on me to make good decisions for their well-being. Their well and so I, that's, that's, that's the thing about being a manager. And that's the thing about uh, uh, continuous improvement is, you know, me having that overwhelming amount of potential uh, is the same as, you know, a company that has so much potential that hasn't been tapped into. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's our job as leaders to drive that, drive, uh, drive that continuous improvement, make today better than yesterday, and make tomorrow, you know, a vision. And uh, really, really keep that, keep that uh, motivated. And it's, it's, you can't stand still, you know, Lean Six Sigma is not an observation sport. 
It's a participation sport. You have to participate in it. And, um, you know, that's what I've had to learn over the last 20-something years that I've been exposed to lean and to Six Sigma. And, um, you know, I, I've seen the benefits of a good project, and I've seen the downfall downfall of an unsustained, you know, outcome. Uh, I, I hate to see projects that have so much momentum, and then then the, the control part doesn't play, take place in Dometic. And all that hard work is just falls to the wayside. And it sends a message. It sends a message to those that participated in that project that this doesn't work. So it's our responsibility to make sure it's sustained. Uh, we do our control plans and we don't just become satisfied with the results that we that we broaden our scope and take it to the next level. And so it's got it, there's gotta be momentum, there's gotta be movement. Uh, we can't stand still. So that's kind of my journey into my career. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be where I'm at. You know, I was sleeping on couches. You know, I, I give a lot of benefit to my wife. Uh, I tell her every day, thank you. Uh, I give her the paycheck. She tells me every day, thank you. And so, uh, you know, it's a partnership. And it, 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 it started with that partnership. And then it's grown into what it is today. You know, I consider myself still with uh, uh, a lot of humility that, you know, I'm afforded this opportunity to lead people, uh, to uh, uh, take care of uh, uh, their livelihood through decisions that are well thought out and not hasty. Uh, really, uh, that, that's what a leader has to do, you know, because uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk too much that nobody hears a word I say. You know, because my actions are just louder than it. And I got to make sure my actions match my, my conduct and my conduct matches what I talk about and uh, being a walking example. So, um, but that, yeah, that's my journey and it's still going on. So, I love it. There's a, there was a lot to, to pull from that. And, you know, number one, I, I think it's, it's critically important. I, I really love that, um, you know, you have such a great relationship with your wife. And um, I think really the big takeaway is that it's, it's okay to ask for help. And it's, it's most important, you know, to be able to get that insight and that influence from, you know, the people who really love it. It sounds to me like you're, you're an incredible team leader. And a, a lot of that is because of the perspective that you've gleaned from your journey, you know, both being in the Marine Corps and all the wonderful you know, places in steps that you've taken to where you are now, ultimately. Um, but, you know, other than setting the example, and I, I feel like that's what a lot of leaders, you know, really kind of hunker down on is you, you have to be the example. Um, other than setting the example, how do you motivate a team to embrace a culture of continuous improvement? Well, I, I, I follow kind of the, you know, Show me, tell me, let me. You know, I got to show them examples of what uh, the lean process can do. I, I have to give examples, show them what's in it for them. Uh, really, you know, they're not just going to take my word for it. You know, I got to demonstrate what what the end product is and what it will become. Um, I have to, you know, let them, you know, get their feet wet. You know, they got to jump into the water and, and, and see what it's like. I mean, we're not trying to eliminate jobs. We're not trying to, um, you know, impact their future 
and livelihood. What we're trying to do is is benefit them. And I got to show them that and demonstrate that. And most of the time, you know, I'll, I'll walk them through previous projects I've been involved in and what the outcome was. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll show videos of Kaizen events and where they see the, you know, the before and after, you know, as simple as 5S before and after, but also, you know, a, a before and after on an income statement where, where the financial impact uh, of our lean journey can take us. You know, but you, you, you've got to get the buy-in on the front end, you know, because they're not going to buy in after the fact. They're going to be convinced after the fact. And so we've got to buy in on the front end and really the old thing, you know, whip them what's in it for me. Because yeah. we, we're, we're creatures of habit in that regard. You know, I really don't want to go the extra mile if it ain't worth it for me. And uh, we got to demonstrate that. And we got to do that on the front end. we got to be promoters of the journey, you know. Not just, you know, telling them what could happen, but showing them what can happen. Uh, because, you know, but you got to get that, you got to get that foundation first. And sure. sometimes it's baby steps. You know, I, I think any company that starts, you know, uh, trying to do a lean journey, you got to do those baby steps, which is 5S. 5S is the most baby step there is. You yeah. know, really, it's, 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 a, it's a principle and it's, and it's, it's a methodology that we use. But it, 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 it's, it's such a loud demonstration of what lean can be. Now, getting into the Six Sigma part, you know, that's, that's a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know. The, but the lean, you know, uh, you know taking them through the gimbal walks and understanding that every day, you know, we see those improvements and we're, and we're watching those numbers and we're looking at the metrics. And, you know, from the baseline we took at the start of the project, the future state that's becoming a reality you know uh what's really impressive is, is when you really start and you do a value stream map and they don't realize how much they know mm -hmm. they don't realize that they're the experts you know and maybe up to this point they've never been told how important they are and what an expert they are in their role that they're the subject matter experts and that the business counts on their knowledge you know, and that, that is a, that's, those, those are some of those aha moments that I have mm -hmm. putting a value stream map together with the team. And then they realize, you know, what each part plays to each part. And also when they start to see the waste, you know, and uh, they don't realize that, that, that it could be better, you know, and, you know, they, they have that attitude at times. That it's always been this way, or I've said it before and nobody listened. Well, mm -hmm. we're listening now. And we're writing it down and we're going to do something about it. And I yeah. think when you, when you get to that level of empowerment, you know, uh, it really starts to catch their interest just like it did mine. You know, I, I was in the same boat, you know, I, I was just an entry level supervisor the first time I went through NUMI and, and saw what manufacturing could be, you know, because I saw what manufacturing was in, in my, in my world. Uh, but in the Toyota production system, and, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing, you know, that uh, we can get to that detail of excellence. That's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I really love what you had to say about the empowerment piece of this, um, because I'd, I've, I've seen it in at the shop floor or at the, you know, at the floor level you know, words like efficiency start going around in just 
the little nagging voice in the back of your mind is like, does that mean I'm going to lose my job? Right. Mm -hmm. But it's really not the case. It's more of a deep dive and a look into how important your role really is and how much life we can get back and how much more productivity we can get back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I really do. I think it's empowering, right? Because, you know, as a manager, you can tell someone you're amazing. Your role here is integral to what we do. We could not function without you. But it's another thing to really see that, right? As as a manager, sometimes we we, we say nice things to folks, but it's kind of like when your mom says that you're handsome, right? Like, am I actually handsome, right? Uh, It's funny because I've now come into into radio and I'm, you know, coming to, she's like, you've got a face for radio. I'm like, hey, because it's right, right? But no, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's more value to that perspective when they get to see, you know, how integral they are to the entire picture and that's that's a really really amazing insight on how to glean that buy-in is to is to you know paint that whole picture as you're you know developing the value stream map and you know really identify it like you are a critical piece in in this process and and you know you should feel empowered by that i mm-hmm. I, I really love that and i'm really impressed with um you know your your concept of leadership it's it's really uh it's inspiring to say the least Um, so, um, you know, on that note, we we had kind of touched on it a little bit earlier as we were going through your journey. And I I have to admit, I'm I'm really excited to hear this story. Um, you know, every time we have a guest, we, we always ask, you know, what's the most unique or outrageous way that you've implemented a continuous improvement initiative. Uh, and you were kind of sharing with me at the beginning of the show that, um, there's a really good one. So, you know, Robert, I, I, I got to ask, you know, what is the most outrageous or unique way that you've ever implemented a continuous improvement initiative? Okay. Uh, this was at Hershey. And uh, what one of the products that we do, we did was we create these bulk totes of uh, Reese's peanut butter cup that we would crumble up. And basically those went to McDonald's. Uh, they went on the little blizzard drinks. There was the toppings for ice cream and, and uh, shakes. Uh, the only problem is uh, we always had uh, quality rejects because sometimes the paper would still be in the totes yeah. uh, attached to the chocolates. We did what we call the derobing uh, process where we, it would go through a tumbler and that was supposed to get the paper off. And then it would go through uh, about 10 employees and they would be trying to get the paper off. But we would always get rejects from our customers because they would Mm -hmm. find paper still after everything we tried to do. So we we figured out that we had to make a paperless grease cup and we had to Mm -hmm. manufacture it as such. We didn't want to do the deroping process. We didn't want to put all that labor into removing it just so we wouldn't get an entire tote rejected because one piece of paper was found. Um, so we, we had a project together and we just came back from Numi. So all of us are like, let's do a Kaizen event. Let's figure this out. And so we went through, you know, the process and uh, we still couldn't figure out how are we going to do this, you know? And uh, I had an aha moment. I go, we already make Hershey miniatures by using these molds that resemble, you know, the larger chocolate bars. Why can't we create a mold that resembles the ripples 
of a Reese's peanut butter cup. Hmm. And that's where it started. And then we thought we got to get all this equipment. Da -da 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 -da. And I realized that I had a, 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 a cooling of what we call a cooling tunnel that was available because we shut down that product line and we can use that cooling tunnel. All we had to do is get these molds made, uh, which we had to get made over in Germany. And then we can utilize an existing piece of equipment. The only capital that we had to get was a kind of a, a packaging machine, not even a packaging machine because we didn't package it. We just had to have like a hopper machine mm -hmm. that would drop these into totes. And so we would make it right off this cooling tunnel and drop them into these totes. And uh, we had a hundred percent reject free paperless Reese mini miniature cups. And my little prop here, here's the award from Hershey wow. for that event. Uh, this is my first project. And so everywhere I'm at, this goes with it. Beautiful. And this is from the CEO of Hershey back in 2006. Uh, it's called the Workout Award of Excellence. Working out, problem solving, working out a problem. Yeah, and uh, we were able to, with all of our engineers put together and then I'm not that I'm trying to take credit, but I had the aha moment. Like, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? We got something already. You know, and sometimes we discover that during Kaizen events. Mm -hmm. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Look around. Mm -hmm. You know, so, some of the best uh, solutions are just by observation. You know, you hear the term think outside the box. Somebody, sometimes just look on the other side of the box. And that's, that's what I had to do. I looked on the other side of the wall. And I realized we already had the capability. We just needed to configure it right to what we needed to do. You know, so that was the my first project. And uh, uh, I walked away with the gold on that one. So I was pretty proud of it. Literally. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when you see a, when you when you go to McDonald's or uh, Dairy Queen or anything, and you have a, a Reese's peanut butter cup topping, you'll know where that came from. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's definitely a great and, and an amazingly unique story. Um, and it, it, I think, you know, for a lot of the listeners too, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, you can, it feels very household, right? Cause yeah. uh, Reese's peanut butter cups are, are my personal favorite candy. So that's definitely uh, uh, hitting home for me there. So, so I always like to give this part of the show as an opportunity for our guests to do some sort of promotion, you know, whether it's a webinar, maybe a hiring event, Maybe there's a coaching session, all these different things. So, so Robert, what would you like to get out to our listeners? What are you hoping to promote today? I, I, I want to promote something that's close to me. You know, it's, it's uh, really promoting the idea of, of hiring veterans. Uh, I, I, being a veteran, my, my son is a, is a veteran. He's a disabled veteran. Uh, he just got out of the Marine Corps, and he's going back to school. But I, I, I know that we have veterans coming out of the service that uh, are, are struggling. You know, either, you know, they don't have the skill sets that they need. Uh, they don't want to go back into college. They want to go into vocational training or they're just looking for a job that will support them and their families. So I want to promote, you know, the businesses out there to be actively, you know, recruiting veterans because uh, they bring a tremendous skill set, you know, from their from their life's experience. Uh, you can reach out to CalVets, the VA, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, American Legion, the Marine Corps League. You know, uh, what they bring to the table and from their from their level of maturity, 
from their level of leadership because we start leadership very early in the military. And so they come out of the military all, already with a, a very demonstrated skill set in leadership. And so if you're looking for somebody that's going to, you know, uh, be a responsible member of your team, you know, there's, there's nothing better than bringing aboard a veteran. So I, I would ask business leaders out there and, and managers out there to really, you know, beeline to those opportunities uh, to bring on board a veteran. Beautifully said. It, it, there's there's so many great organizations out there to help you build bridge the gap. I mean, even in in the manufacturing space, you have Skills Bridge uh, through the DoD mm-hmm. as you're making yeah. the transition. Uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has hiring our heroes. Uh, they specifically have a really fantastic uh, military spouse program that has won all kinds of awards, uh, and they've had some really great success with actually the city of San Antonio uh, in Texas. I, I do encourage our listeners to uh, to check that out. Um, and then your state programs too, like Work for Warriors. I mean, these there's a, a lot of great resources out there. Um, and on that note, Robert, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on the show with me today. Um, you're, you had some really great stories. Uh, I was really excited to be able to glean uh, from your experience and learn myself. Um, and I, I just cannot stress enough how eternally grateful I am for your time. Um, and really, you're, you're inspiring insight. It's, it's great things that we can take and uh, apply on a daily basis. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I'm the sum total of every manager uh, uh, that I've ever had. Yeah, the good and the bad. Uh, so nothing that comes out of my mouth is very original. It's things that I just uh, picked up and learned as a life lesson through my career. You know, and I'm very thankful for where my career has brought me. You know, it, it's been very supportive to, to me and my wife and my kids. And, and uh, I want to continue to uh, try to make a difference in, in, as long as I have the opportunity to lead people. You know, and that's, that's my drive is to lead people. Beautifully said. Well, from this man's perspective, it sounds like you're doing a really great job. Uh, and I, I really, I, I cherish uh, all that you've done and I look forward to, uh, to seeing you grow through the years. I know you're really well connected with Modern Kaizen. So I'm really excited about, you know, where our relationship takes us to be able to, you know, watch that continuous improvement. Cause that's something yeah, I, that uh, I, I cherish. I was very fortunate so. to work with Kashan. You know, I told you I had some props and I, I, I still do have my Fender guitar uh-huh. Uh, which was uh, one of my, my great takeaways from working with uh, Kashan at uh, Bender, uh, where he was our CI manager and I was a uh, manufacturing manager. So uh, he, he's one of my heroes. He's, he's somebody uh-huh. I look up to and he's a mentor that I turn to. That's amazing. He's a uh, it, it, same here. I, I'm, I'm just so grateful uh, to be around such amazing people on a daily basis. Again, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I had a really great time having you on the show here. I'm really looking forward to premiering it next week. Um, and on that note, I want to thank everyone for joining us this week. Um, actually, Robert, you know, what's the best way to connect with you? Are you active on LinkedIn? If any of our listeners I'm on LinkedIn. Wanted- yeah, that's the best. I, I, I kind of got away from the other social media. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can drop me messages there. Uh, if you are a veteran and you're looking for uh, uh, employment, I, I have a lot of connections. So just drop me a note uh, to those veterans out there. I'll make sure we find something for you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank everybody once more. Thank you, Robert Moriarty. And I'm super excited to see you all next week. See you next time. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. All right.